Hey, hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Independent Life. Holy moly, Brianna Chestine. She is a force of nature and somebody that I think we all need to be paying attention to, more attention to than all the distractions that are out there that are taking our attention, that is showing people being divisive and hateful and seems to be the things that people seem to be paying attention to the most and are ignorant of people like Brianna, who are doing work for the service of others, who are putting their heart on their sleeves, doing things that we need to be paying attention to because there's a lot of good going on in the world. And Brianna is a light and beacon of that hope and that light that is going on. She runs and is executive director and the founder of the Health Education and Training Center. It's a center that provides holistic wellness for low-income minority communities in which she came from. And in this episode, she explains how her upbringing really has inspired her to do the professional work that she's doing nowadays to promote health in communities for social and environmental reasons systemically are experiencing these health disparities. She talks a lot about the program that she runs, how they run, why it's important. She also shares her own personal journey and struggles and trauma and how she's healed herself through positive affirmations. She talks about the book that she has written and authored, which is Worthy Warriors. It's a children's book with affirmations to build positive, self-driven, esteemed children that can grow into adults. And of course, as many uh, very good children's book, this is one that I believe adults should be reading as well. And she talks about the values and virtues that she embraces to be the inspiration to herself and to her community. That is, uh, I think, something very important to pay attention to for any of us that are interested in doing the same kind of work that she's doing, being the best version of ourselves so that we can serve to the greatest of our capabilities. I just really look forward to collaborating more with Brianna. We do come from a, a similar background. She happened to get her master's degree in the same department that I did at the University of Florida, which is health education and behavior. So I really appreciate the background that she has in that, so her focus being on community health promotion, which was mine, and low-income minority communities, which I spent a lot of time and experience in doing it as well. But as an outsider to these communities, Brianna comes from the community that she's serving, so certainly has a lot more insight and expertise than I will ever have. And in this interview, I've learned so much from her, and on top of that learning, have really received a ton of inspiration. Please take this healthy dose, this holistic dose of wellness and drink it down. This is certainly something that we sorely need to nourish our minds and our bodies and our spirits during a time where too much attention is being put on the people that are looking to divide our community. So I bring you Brianna, someone who is uniting our community. So Brianna, we got to meet over the Wellness for Everyone Fair and we connected first because like we came from the same major, health education and behavior. Way to go. I love it. <laughs> go Gators. Yeah, right? You had uh, told me about your organization, Health Education and Training. So let's start there and talk about what that's all about. Right. So um, the Health Education Training Center, HEAT, um, is our acronym because it's so long. 
We are a holistic health and wellness center for uh, underserved minorities. We've been doing this for about four years. We started at a library, believe it or not. During my master's degree, <laughs> uh-huh. I was working three jobs and I actually taught the classes at the library for the heat center. That's where it started. It started at the library partnership in the headquarters library. I wanted to create a holistic way of wellness for everyone to be a part of uh, because I never saw that model being done. Usually you have to go get contracted out to go to the health department or you would have to go to you know a counseling center for a counselor or you have to go to a financial advisor for a financial advisor. Well, the HEAT Center does all of it in one place. So we handle sexual health, mental health, emotional health, financial health, and nutritional health all in the same center. We don't refer anyone out. Um, Usually we get referrals. (laughs) So people Uh that need help with financial health, their credit, their home ownership, they would take our classes. People that need help with nutrition, Um, learning to eat, cook healthier meals for them. They would take our classes. So people that would like to know more about physical health, yoga, meditation, they take our classes. So I built the center basically because we don't have that in Gainesville where you can actually go and get all these services at one location and not have to go each place for each kind of dimension. Right. One-stop shop. Yeah. One-stop shop. We started at a location at the library, but it broke my heart because we started not getting a lot of clients. So we moved online in 2019 and we've been online ever since. We have all of our classes online, usually live sessions with our nutritional health class on Facebook because that group grew so big. It's about 400 people that are in that class. So we can't hold them anymore online. So now we have to go live. (laughs) But that is the gist of heat. We started really at a library and, you know, we wanted to do more and reach more populations. So that's why we headed over online in August, 2019. So you were doing all this while working three jobs, going through your master's and uh, wow. Okay. (laughs) So this is why I wanted to have you on. You're like a force of nature. So I want to also get into, so the library partnership, I believe they're run by the Partnership for Stronger Families. Yes. I worked with the Southwest Advocacy Group, and they were also run by the Partnership for yes. Stronger Families, and it was like this network. So I am familiar with this network. Right. I also worked in kind of that arena as well, and it does serve um, low-income minority communities. Yep. I want to start there. What? Why are you interested in promoting health in low-income minority communities? I'm interested because I'm actually from low-income minority community, Uh, not so much in Gainesville. I came to Gainesville when I was 17, but I'm actually from Ocala, Florida. I came to Gainesville when I was 17 to go to school at Santa Fe. However, I did grow up in an underserved population as a minority. I am minority. So I kind of understand the thought process. When you grow up in um, a neighborhood, you usually are a product of the neighborhood and you understand how things go especially how they maneuver and things of that nature. However, what got me really wanting to serve the population under certain minority is because of my own family. My own family, um, I saw die at a very early age, like in their 30s and their 40s. And I really wanted to know why, that question, why? Why, why, why do we have, why do we have less parks, less green space? Why do we have food deserts? I just wanted to know why. And I, I wanted to research why, and that's what got me interested in research. And that's what got me interested in health because I really wanted to be a physical therapist, (laughs) but um, that didn't work out. So I started looking at public health and why people do the things they do in psychology and sociology and 
providing services for people that are less fortunate. And then uh, I was a product of homelessness when I was in middle school. So I wanted to do a little bit more with the homeless people and the homeless shelters. I wanted to know why people do the things they do. Why was my family kind of not, <laughs> um, we were targeted with food deserts. We, we didn't have the best food. And that really got me into research, just that question of why we don't have those things like parks and green space and our springs are broken and we don't have the best fruits and vegetables and we don't have farms on that side. So that is really what got me interested in wanting to build something for everyone, everyone under the umbrella as a minority. Yes, the black and brown people, but also anyone that is a minority because we are usually the less fortunate when it comes to fresh fruits and vegetables. And I wanted to make sure we understand nutrition is the top most important part of our community is nutrition. Of course, transportation too, but nutrition is one of the things that we see a lot of in the center. And that's where our biggest clientele is. It's actually our nutritional health class. <laughs> wow. So you seem to have explained some of the reasons why some of these things, these inequities, these health inequities that are experienced in low-income minority communities that you, know, you were asking the why question about the food deserts, like you were saying, uh, places that don't have access to adequately stocked food stores that take a lot of transportation to get to one. So the big barriers that are there, lack of green space, lack of recreational facilities. What else has, has your experience and your research told you about this great question that you're asking? Why do these health disparities exist? Right. It's mostly because I've been in research, clinical research at that for about eight years now. I started HIV research um, at the University of Florida. A lot of my research I've seen where um, you have people that come from low-income minority areas. However, they are single parents, right? Single moms, single dads, they usually work two jobs and they don't really take care of themselves because usually when you take care of other people, your self-care goes down. So that's where a lot of the research has come. That is why we actually are operating from 4 to 9 p.m. and not your typical 9 to 5. We do not operate nine to five because of that research saying, hey, the population that we serve, they're usually free between four and 9 p.m. So that's when we usually are open. (laughs) Um, It works for us. Not every center is modeled that way. That's why we're very unique where you can reach us anywhere because we've been online for a very long time, four years. However, our target population does not do anything between the hours of nine to five for self-care or anything like that because they're working. So we meet people the way uh, where they are, especially the age group that we have. Our age group tends to be anywhere between 20 to 53. So the 20-year-olds to 53-year-olds is usually the range for us. We do have some classes like our kids yoga class that operates 4.30 um, in the afternoon. However, the rest of our classes are usually four to nine because of our target population working that many jobs in a day. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things I think that, uh, you know, so I'm coming from this from a white privileged background. My experience in coming, you know, as an outsider into the community, I have some experience and uh, coming into where the Southwest Advocacy Group was, which helped to serve seven low-income neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. access to adequate health care 
was an issue. There's three buses to the health department one way, hour and a half. People weren't accessing care. Right. So we helped to mobilize the community to identify some of their needs, which that was one of them, and advocated with county commissioners to get funding to build a resource center in the middle of the neighborhood to be place-based, to meet them where they're at. Like you're saying, meet them where they're at in terms of time. And then we advocated to get a health clinic out there, dental care. Now there's a child care for early childhood education that's out there. And what we found was, again, I'm an outsider. I'm not the expert. But in working with the community was a huge part of getting those places. Like we could come in with the research, like you said. So we had the the GIS maps and the health disparities <laughs> and all the other wonderful yeah. statistics by itself. We wouldn't have got funded by the county commissioners to build those resource centers. But with the community identifying their own needs, yep. taking you know some time to then help plan and implement and evaluate and sustain was what sold the county commissioners to do some of that funding. I guess from your perspective, coming from the community, what does it take to get people from the community who are so busy, like you said, who don't even have time to take care of themselves, to be a part of community health promotion, to be invested into it because of the, all those other barriers that they have? That They want their community to be better, but there's so many barriers. Yeah, the barriers are um, a challenge, especially if you come from the community, because they're like, well, you should already know how to to give us things. And I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) So even though I come from the community that I serve, I find myself giving out needs assessment surveys and then reverse pouring them. And even when I started the center, I gave out surveys. So I went and I talked to people. I've met people. I networked. I went and usually when they came into the library partnership, they had a survey uh, so we can get their zip code um, and get kind of knowing what needs do they need to um, have help in, right? Is it wellness? Is it, you know, transportation? Where, where can we assist you? I didn't go in there and thinking I knew everything because I come from that neighborhood, right? I came in with my eyes closed. That's why I, I like saying I, we come in with our eyes closed. Um, I give a survey and I see kind of, are they, you know, low in depression? Do they need help with meditation? Are they needing help with physical transportation or actually just physical movement? So it's very important to get the community on board, basically with, you know, what you're doing. It needs to be creative, right? We don't want a boring program. We've seen so many boring programs that happen over and over again, but nothing changing in the community. So it needs to be innovative, right? We need a a program that is good for everyone, but it also needs to be innovative, creative, um, and something that they like to do. (laughs) So um, at the center, our classes were not picked by me. Uh, if I picked the classes, we would probably have Zumba by now. Um, but the community actually picked our classes. They took the survey. They said what they wanted, um, how they wanted it, what they needed. And we took that in consideration and we built the center around it. So I didn't pick the yoga classes. I didn't pick the mental health aspect. So the meditation for beginners. For me, I was thinking along the lines like, oh, We should build a center of holistic health and wellness. Yeah, but counselors, right? Mm. (laughs) Therapy. I was thinking about therapy and it was actually the opposite (laughs) when I did the community survey. So I was like, wow, right? You go in there thinking that you might get a result and it's the complete opposite of what you thought.
that great? It, it's so it's so fascinating. Like you were saying before, why why humans behave in the way that they do is fascinating. Then relate it to health behaviors, and then collectively as a community, yes. I think there needs to be that genuine interest and curiosity with people to really get into it. And it's so counterintuitive. Right. You know, a couple of the things that I learned when when doing some of the needs assessments with the communities, certainly it took a long time for me to get any trust. I'll tell you that. It was years. You know, white guy research, you know, ding, yeah, ding, bad, true. you know, kind of things. And it just had to keep showing up. Yeah. Not sell them, but show them that, you know, generally cared and et cetera. But one of the things that, that I found interested on the surveys was that in just in the demographics, you know, we would ask, are you married? Or are you single? And they did not mm-hmm. want to be asked that, you know, many people were like, look, we've been stigmatized as being single parent families and, you know, this, that, and the other. And that's one thing I learned right off the bat was just that, you know, kind of thing. And then also what I was learning was, again, coming in with the statistics, like showing the health inequities that exist in these neighborhoods. Really, when it was presented to the people living in the neighborhoods, it was taken as almost like... um, I wouldn't say as an insult, but almost like as a, you know, kind of an accusation or kind of was met with defensiveness. So, you know, when presenting it to stakeholders and policymakers, it like pulled that their heartstrings and was very important and here's a need. And so we got to go address it. But when sharing it with the community, it was kind of like taken as an indictment on, oh, we're wrong, you know, and this, that, and the other. So I had to learn that as well. Like, you know, right. oh man, we got to identify the need, right? And like, yeah. look, man, you know, we're right. this, that, and the other. So I don't know if you have any comments to like my learning from my background and privilege and, and some of those things. And those are just a few things I was learning. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Tony, because one of the things that I did learn is that we want them to feel inclusive. Um, a lot of people go into neighborhoods and want to tear it apart, right? but not understanding, yeah, there's research, but also to feel that inclusivity. So on my survey that I did, Bill, the first one, you don't see it in the U.S. census, right? You just see um, when it comes to race, you see Black, white, and Hispanic, right? So we took it into our our authority to actually list out the Hispanic culture. So are you Hispanic Cuban? Are you Hispanic (laughs) uh, South American? (laughs) You know, so we listed out the ethnicities, right? But listed out. So we wanted to know if you were Hispanic, what type of Hispanic were you, right? Just to make you feel more inclusive. We don't want to exclude people that are white and Hispanic, right? But sometimes that's why the U.S. Census is sometimes written incorrectly to my standards. Because you could be Hispanic, but what does that mean? Right. (laughs) What does that mean? How am I going to serve you? Right. If you're Hispanic, say Cuban versus Hispanic Puerto Rican. Right. right? So we want them to feel, everyone to feel that they're welcome here. So right now it's actually Hispanic Heritage Month. It just started September 15th. However, what does that mean for the center? Right. How are we going to express Hispanic Heritage Month if I don't know? Uh, who or whom, shall we say, are all Hispanic, Puerto Rican, Cuban, South American, Brazilian. So I take that in very consideration when I do my surveys. That's one question that is very um, out there and they appreciate that the most because we've got the most responses on that question. (laughs) Now for the marital piece, um, yes, we have had a lot of Mm -mm, they're not answering because they feel like you know we may exclude them or something like that from our services um, which I'm trying to get to the bottom of that piece of why a lot of questions that we get back is they don't answer that question single or 
married or widowed, that piece is something that I really am interested in because I'm also receiving that too. And I've been receiving that for four years. <laughs> so I need to see kind of where we could mediate that question and probably answer, uh, ask it a different way. Like how many people are in your household? But <laughs> then again, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really, matter. you know, cause it could help to inform the type of supports that we give identifying if, is it a, you know, two parent household, a single parent household, mm -hmm. but there, the information I received was that, look, look how much stigma there is for single moms out there. You right. know, and, and like right. uh, there's this, you know, outsider looking in. Why can't, you know, where are the men? What are they doing? That's the problem. Kind of this indictment ish, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Lack of sensitivity in that and the stigma that's associated with that. It was what I was being told was one of the reasons that it was on there. Right. So I guess like with that perspective, I think I could lead into another question is, is so people that are not from low income minority uh, communities, particularly people that are white like myself, who have had advantage and privilege and look at, you know, over there, like, well, why don't they have families that are together? Why can't they go be physically active, eat the right thing, stay away from mm -hmm. alcohol, tobacco, mm -hmm. and drugs? And, you know, why, why, why? Sh finger shaking, you know, this, that and the other. Um, what, what do you have to say to that mentality? Because it is out there. It does cause a stigma. And from my experiences, I've learned so much that like I would have answers just on based on my ignorance that I've learned along the way. But coming from your perspective, what do you have to say to the majority of old men like me that are white out there that maybe <laughs> now I'm not saying with this, but they might be saying. Of course. Of course. Um, I would probably say that, you know, it's it's the house that you were brought up in, right? We learn things from our parents. So some of us have um, parents or households that our parents drink a lot, right? So as little kids, we want to be like our parents all the time. I remember me wanting to be a teacher. And look, I'm a teacher because my mom was a teacher when I was right, little. Right. <laughs> I wanted to be just like my yeah. mom. <laughs> so now I'm a teacher. Um, but as we get older, we tend to, history tends to repeat itself unless there's a mediator in between that. And that's factual. You're gonna do the same thing that your parents did unless you have a positive affluence or someone in your life that is a mediator in between that. So a lot of people don't have those mediators, right? They don't have the mediators to tell them, hey, you know, maybe you should do your homework mm -hmm. or hey, maybe you should, you know, um, limit the drinking, mm -hmm. right? So some people don't have those positive people role models in their life. They only have what they've been taught, learned behavior, right? Your parents teach you something and you want to be like parents when you grow up or be like mom or something like that. So when it comes to that, you have to look at a person just not by what they uh, what they have in their house or what they've been brought up, but as a whole person, right? Okay, if they saw mom, dad fighting and drinking, well, maybe that caused them anxiety and maybe now they're fearful of their life around anybody that drinks sure. because that's also another way as well to interpret yeah. it. So we have to be very aware of how we judge other people, right. right? We don't know kind of where that person's going or what they've been through. So we want to approach them with open arms and we don't want to put labels on people. Totally. <laughs> right. Cause we don't know. <laughs> we don't, we don't know. know. So um, we have to go and we have to have an open mind, right? A lot of things that are associated with closed-minded closed individuals is because they think that things should be a certain way. Um, there's no rule to health and wellness. It's just you need to start somewhere. <laughs> we don't have rules. Yeah. So when you come to the center, we're going to ask you, hey, 
how are you feeling? How are you doing? Because we don't have rules to how you start. You just need to start your wellness plan, your care. What do you do for self-care? Usually it's something that you did when you were a child. If you like drawing and painting, well, that's probably your self-care mm-hmm. regimen sure. is drawing and painting. Yeah, <laughs> so we want to adhere to everyone and meet them where they are, but also be non-judgmental of even where they begin, Amen. right? Yeah. So that's kind of what my take is on it, because I've seen a lot of people with that mentality. And I'm like, mm, I don't think that's the appropriate way to approach it. Yeah, it's usually coming from <laughs> a lot of people that haven't been in their place, in their families and walking in their shoes yes. or in their neighborhoods. And it's usually coming from a different socioeconomic status. From one of the, the things that, again, I, uh, I was learning, I still very ignorant is that fundamentally the thread through here was low income poverty poverty man i is such a challenge it's an insidious force and and for me there's certainly a a lot of white poor people and it's the same kind of outcomes that we would see in that population as well and so this poverty is such a huge factor in generational poverty like you said over time and time again was one of those forces that were like you know people are in survival mode and for when we were at the uh, southwest advocacy center you know we'd be saying okay farmer's market a week from today and we're gonna have a chili cook-off <laughs> like you said innovative programs we're gonna have this chili cook-off mm-hmm. and farmer's market it's gonna be on wednesdays at four o'clock it's like a week and they're like dude i'm trying to get through today you know i'm just trying to survive today you're gonna have me like planning and doing all these things and that was another thing for me to learn was people's time orientation is different than my culture's time orientation like be on time schedule it put it right. in your planner and no, the challenge of poverty just seems to be such a huge factor in, in all of this. I don't know what your take is having grown up in low income and serving low income. Um, poverty is huge. Poverty is huge. However, you got to have that mediator. You have to understand the person. So if they're saying, hey, I can't make it to the chili cook-off because I don't have a ride. Matter of fact, I don't even have a job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's start sure. there, right? Um, so why would I use my free time to go to an event when I could be looking to feed my family, right? So we have to really know that individual and the individuals that we're serving because it's real fun that we have these community events sometimes, but sometimes they're not for that population, not at that moment, at that moment, because they're dealing with bigger factors like, you know, that poverty of food. How am I going to get some food on the table? I have four kids and I got to work two jobs. And then at that, at that time, you know, I, sad to say that we don't pay that much for people living in Gainesville without that the right proper sure. let's say education so say if that is a middle school mom that didn't graduate high school that has two kids I'm pretty sure she's probably going to clock in at a job before she goes <laughs> uh, looking for a, a events to go to shall we say um, how we get those moms to come to the events and things of that nature is basically saying, you know, things that would be more beneficial to them, like credit, right? How to enhance your credit, how to buy your first home. That's a huge one. That's a huge one that we do. How to buy your first home has been a really lifesaver with Bank of America. We teach that class with Bank of America. Those are the things that we want to kind of put on the forefront. Um, And then the incentive is, hey, we have this free dinner, right? Hey, we have this free child care. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a big one. Yeah. Coming. coming. Yeah. So, you know, shout out to Premier Moms. Um, they're a non 
uh, nonprofit just like us, but they provide childcare. What's their name again? They Premier provide Moms? Child care. Oh, Premier they provide childcare. So if you, if moms and dads want to go to certain places, they actually provide childcare. So the mom, dad could go to those events, um, which is really cool because in Gainesville, we need that. We need assistance with childcare. I oh, <laughs> see man. that a lot. So Absolutely. It's like, oh, okay, what I'm going to do with my kids. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's, that's a necessity. You know, I want to also go in on a group of people that you're likely working with as well within, mm-hmm. the, within the community, and that's people with disabilities, whether it's physical, yes. mental, emotional, behavioral, um, whatever it might be. What is your experience in, in the work that you do regarding the people that you serve who have disabilities? Yeah, so Grow Hub is a really cool place for people living with disabilities that need an actual physical job. So we wrote a activities book for Grow Hub, um, which is for people living with disabilities with the University of Florida Center for Autism that happened last year. We are going to probably hopefully launch that next year with Grow Hub um, with their book. Our actual nutritional health uh, instructor will be there serving food from our actual book that we wrote for people living with a disability. So it has actual activities book where it's Velcro, you can match the fruits and vegetables. And then we also wrote a recipe book for people living with disabilities. So it's very colorful, it's very fun, and it gives you, I believe, 62 recipes. Another thing that we have done in the past is chair yoga. We're excited because chair yoga will be coming back in the spring where chair yoga helps people living with disabilities who are um, in the wheelchair that utilize a wheelchair for yoga. So it's really important that we get people living with disabilities moving, movement, right? Even though you have a disability, we need you to move. That's right, 100%. (laughs) I'm a very big fan of physical activity. We will be coming back with chair yoga again, which I'm excited about because that was one of the yoga classes that we first started was chair yoga. So we'll probably be doing that in the spring 2022 because we have so many yoga classes now. We'll add another one for chair yoga spring 2022 for people living with disabilities again to enhance that movement, that mobility piece. Well, you know, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Grow Hub. And from what I understand, Grow Hub is a, uh, you know, farm to fork table kind of place where people with disabilities go into a greenhouse in a farm setting and actually are participating in growing and harvesting the fruits and vegetables. And as you probably know, doing some community-based agriculture in the, in the neighborhoods, if, if children or others are responsible for growing and harvesting the fruits and vegetables, they're more likely to eat the fruits and vegetables. And then exactly. Grow Hub sounds it's like it's entrepreneurial in the sense that then they then take the produce and sell it to restaurants, sell it to you know farmers markets and other places out like that. And then of course, all the other business operations that are needed to do an operation like that, people with disabilities are learning to do a lot of the business end of that kind of thing. So, you know, whether it's the financial piece, whether it's the delivery piece, whether it's the marketing of the program, the cleanup of the program, there's so many different job type tasks that go into that beyond just the the growing and harvesting. I just really love the employability training that goes in with GrowHub, and I'm really glad to hear you're partnering with the University of Florida and Center for Autism to do that. 
So with the physical activity piece, you know, you mentioned um, like wheelchair yoga and then looking up your uh, organization, you have quite a bit of yoga and meditation. Yeah. And, and I love that yeah. as part of your holistic piece in this. And I would say it's fairly innovative and want to know more about what you see the benefits of yoga and meditation on the people that you serve. Why is that such an important piece? Uh, meditation is very important. I'll start with meditation because we as humans, we do a lot. Our brain does a lot in a day. Um, we think about things, we forget things. Our brain is always on. 100%, mm -hmm. even when we're sleeping, because sure. your brain is also on when you're sleeping, especially in, when you're in REM sleep and your brain is in those dreams, your, your brain is on. So it's very important that you take time out, just probably like five minutes. I started meditating for just five minutes. Now I can meditate for two hours. What? <laughs> right? when, do you, when do you have so, two hours, Brianna? <laughs> oh, I do. I make time. Yeah, I know you I do. do. <laughs> but five minutes a day will do you some good especially when it comes to deep breathing, meditating, um, your brain is always 100% on. It's that self-care time to mm. actually be with yourself. <laughs> um, how do you start meditating? Well, some people meditate with music. Some people meditate with songs. Some people meditate with painting, drawing. You don't have to be quiet when you meditate. I think that's one of the biggest myths that I, I have to tell people is your meditation doesn't mean you're actually quiet. You can mm -hmm. be actually walking around and meditating. You know, you could be singing and you could be cleaning. It depends on what calms you down, right? right. For me, I have to be quiet when I meditate. I uh -huh. can't do everything else because I do everything else all day. <laughs> you really have to get into a practice that really boosts you, the person, the individual up. Um, meaning it's not something that you feel dreadful when you do it. Um, it's something that's positive and it's in encouraging you and it's fuel, fueling you, right? Yoga is just a physical component because meditation, right? You can be meditating, walking and everything like that, but we want to do a little bit more work when it comes to movement. So yoga is the state of actually creating change in the body, mm -hmm. slowing the body, making sure the muscles, the brain and the muscles are working together, um, the breath is working with the muscles, right? So it's all about movement with yoga. And it doesn't have to be, you know, that extenuous yoga and you're doing trapeze and acrobat yoga. <laughs> <laughs> it could just be lying on the floor in sure. the child's pose, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It could be the dog. You could be doing the downward dog, right? Uh, the cat cow yoga positions. But doing that for a few moments of a day is like a lifetime on your body. Your body's going to thank you. Sure. But it's, letting you identify with your actual physical body and your brain together. So yoga is just putting the two together, yeah. breath, brain, and your body. Meditation, yes, it is a form of yoga in a sense, because you can be doing yoga and meditate as mm -hmm. well. Sure. However, it depends on the individual. We always want to go back to what do you feel good doing? Because my feel good, like meditating quietly might be not so nice to somebody else that wants to meditate with music mm -hmm. see i feel turned off when i meditate with music i can't do it distracting yeah <laughs> so i have to, it's distracting me it depends on that individual person do you like um meditating with music or not so we provide at the center we do a beginner yoga class and we talk about meditation how do you want to meditate <laughs> yeah oh awesome <laughs> how do you want to meditate? <laughs> i love how you tailor everything 
Do you find that the benefits outside of the meditation and yoga in itself and people's day-to-day lives to be something that is received from the people that you serve? So I can tell you from my own experience with meditation or doing physical activity and using my body to become more aware is, is that in my then day-to-day activities, I have a presence and awareness about myself. I'm more in tune with my thoughts and my feelings and can better self-regulate them during like challenging times and, and manage my stress. Uh, do you find that the people you serve um, have benefits that go beyond just the experience of meditating or doing the yoga in and of itself in their daily lives? Yes. So one I could particularly remember one lady came to us in um, probably like last year and she had anxiety, right? Uh, However, when she started meditating, the anxiety started to subside. (laughs) When she started to actually go within herself and really get to what was causing the anxiety, right? Was it the fear of not having enough? Because I see that a lot Mm. when people have the fear of being homeless. The fear of being poverty, provished because they're not doing so well in their job. They got a bad evaluation and they now have anxiety because we're in COVID and they might lose their job. And it's like that anxiety piece is huge. Yeah. So I see it where a lot of people have come to us where they had anxiety. Now that we taught them how to actually meditate the way they would like to meditate, like draw or paint or sing or, or clean or dance. Now that anxiety is not so huge anymore. Now it's really small. Now they don't have panic attacks every week, right? Now they have panic attacks probably once every month, right? They went from having it every week to once every month. Now we have, you know, a little bit more positive affluence on people because of that change. That's a huge change from actually meditating, saying that you're going to meditate for five minutes, having panic attacks weekly. Now you have a monthly. Wow. That's huge. That's a big difference. So that is where we want to get people to. We want to get people to actually understand the power of their brain, the power that they have inside of them, and the power that they can control their, actually, they can control their lives. Because one positive affirmation cancels out 20 negative thoughts. (laughs) So if you keep saying that affirmation every day, it's going to cancel out 20 bad things you don't like about yourself. And, you know, that internal voice that I certainly have, if I'm not paying attention to it, it says all kinds of horrible, critical things about myself. And it's just going on monologue. And, and, and if I'm not aware, if I have that presence of mind that I'm actually repeating this over and over and over and over to myself again, if I can't step out of that with that awareness, yeah, it's just forming neural pathways that are ingrained into me that will keep that. And I think this is a good segue to your book. Worthy Warriors, which is, I believe, an affirmation book. So if you could explain to us what your book's all about. I'm interested in your word choice of the titles, Worthy Warriors, and the power of affirmation. So feel free to take that any which way that you want. So Worthy Warriors is a book of affirmations I wrote for children based upon my actual experience with affirmations. My mom started me at a very young age writing affirmations on the wall and saying them every time before I got out of the car each morning. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. My mom, she's Where in psychology. Go, in yeah. her master's in psychology. My mom's a single parent, so I come from a single parent household. 
and I have two other siblings. I'm the oldest. So uh, it was very important for my mom to actually instill positive affirmations. She, she used to write them when she was a kid. So she handed that down to me. So Worthy Warriors, the reason why I personally wrote that book is because I went through something very, very traumatic about two years ago where I lost a child. I lost a child. I had a I'm miscarriage. So sorry. And what happened to me was that my center actually saved me. I feel like it saved me <laughs> huh. um, because I wrote that book during that whole process. Wow. So the words, every page of that book was me actually saying that to myself every single morning. Those 62 affirmations. I said every single morning to myself to get myself going, to understand that, you know, everything happens for a reason, but also to rebuild that strength because of those, you know, those negative thoughts that you have in your mind about yourself, especially during that traumatic experience that I had. So I started saying those things to myself. I am worthy. I'm smart. I respect others and others respect me. I had to really, really come to terms about who I am because I Mm. lost who I was during that that period of time. But I always remembered, you know, my mom and my mom's still here to this day. So I'm like, <laughs> I always remember what my mom said. She's like down the road for me. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember what my mom said. She's like, uh, you know, you have to say those things to yourself. So you know how to treat yourself. And so how people know how to treat you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that affirmation book is a children's book because I had to go back to my childhood to remember who I was during those two years. So I still worked in the center, like nothing happened to me, but every single day I got to face myself during those affirmations. And I was saying them every single day. And to this day, I have affirmations. If you can see behind me, (laughs) I have them on my wall. My kids write affirmations all around the classroom. It's really neat. Hey, is is there any go-to affirmations that you would like to share with us that uh, have been particularly inspiring? I am worthy is a really good one. That's a really good one because sometimes when we are depressed, we feel like we're not worthy of actually anything. I am worthy is very, a very strong affirmation. That's why it's the title of that book. Hmm. Here in the real world, we we go through challenges, but we feel like we're not worthy of actually getting what we ask for, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that I really am passionate about. I am worthy. I am smart. I am intelligent. I am caring. I am trustworthy. I am a leader. I am a lover. I'm connected to all things and all things are connected to me. That's, that's my favorite one. Good one. That's a good one. <laughs> that's my favorite one. Yeah. But I'm curious. Yes. So those are the positive affirmations that I would say that are the really really home for me. One of the things that I have on my wall right now is I believe in all things and I'm a product of all things. I say that every morning, uh-huh. but I have sticky notes everywhere in my house and people are like, are you crazy? I'm like, yeah, I am crazy. <laughs> I'm crazy about my mental health. Well, who wants to be normal? It's so boring and overdone. Um, yeah. You know, and there's a neurology to this you know, from what I understand about the brain and how it works. When we have a thought, it's a neuron firing. And uh, there's a saying in neuroscience that says that neurons that fire together, wire together. So if we have repetitive uh, thoughts, 
It builds circuits of neurons that wire together, and those could be circuits of positive thoughts, and, and then we can have repetitive uh, positive thoughts, or they could be circuits of negative thoughts, and we could have circuits of robotic negative thinking. And so I love the affirmation piece. I fully believe that there's yeah. a neurology to it. And in your awareness piece to then stop thinking the negative thoughts, that let those neurons that are fired and wired together that are negative die off. Let them die off and build new ones yeah. that are built on those affirmations. So I, th I, I really see you going through a practice of rewiring your, your neurology when you do that. And I, and I also heard you loud and clear when you said um, you know, your center helped to save you during that time. So oh, yeah. I'm interested to know, like, what piece of that, um, you know, beyond the affirmations, was there anything related to being of service to others that was beneficial oh, yeah. through your recovery? What was that all about? What was very beneficial was our actual wellness drive. We did a wellness fundraiser event. Also, I started creating more classes during that time. I did more yoga during that time. But that's where a kid's yoga was developed during that time. And my book, I was writing it during that time. However, yoga saved me as well because, I, I mean, I can take my classes too. So that's what I did. Yeah. You practice what you I, preach. My yeah. classes too. <laughs> so it was it was very beneficial because even being a business owner, I can take those classes just like anybody else can. Sure. I like to pop my head in like five, six times a class, but that's usually how I'm actually being, you know, healed in a sense because I'm taking classes with the people that I'm serving. Uh -huh. And that's helping me even more along my healing journey when you're inspiring other people you're going to be inspired right when you see someone else when you see the outcome and the product of how you have treated other people when you see their wellness is increasing your wellness will increase sure. it's contagious. <laughs> so just being a positive outlook on other people and then helping them and seeing how they have moved up in their rankings with their spiritual walk their spiritual journey that encourages me to actually keep going yeah. <laughs> keep going right yeah. so yeah i think a product of just being a business owner you get to teach but you also get to be the student mm -hmm. so oh, man. teach and be the student yeah yeah you know you talked about inspiration you're inspired you're inspiring other people you know, so I'm always interested in, in people like yourself who are leaders, who are doing this, lifting other people up. Like, what makes you tick? Like, what are your values and virtues that uh, allow you to be the kind of person that you are? What, what are those things that you hold near and dear to your heart there? I'm always curious. I always want to know why. Uh, that used to get me in trouble. <laughs> but curiosity, sure. you know? Another thing is integrity. Ooh. You know, um, I hold that very dear to my heart because it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong it matters if you told the truth Ooh, so honest <laughs> i don't care yeah. if you're right i don't care if you're wrong yeah. i just yeah. want to know the truth yeah <laughs> so being being intentional with your words and your education and honestly using using what you have to be a service that's usually that's my strongest value is using what you have for today and saying how can i help someone with what i got and that's how I live my life. I don't live my life like how am I going to provide for myself? I live my life with the complete opposite. How I'm going to provide for someone else. Wow. Right? How am I going to be the fundamental foundation for somebody else? How can I make somebody else happy today? Wow. Because me making someone else happy, I will be happy regardless. But to live your life 
wanting things is not the way life should be lived. To live paycheck to paycheck is not the way life should be lived. Life should be very, should be very gentle, right? You should be gentle with yourself and understand that things take time, but also living life, you know, to help other people. That's what motivates me the most. So I always open my day with, I have this, I don't know. <laughs> Let's say if I had a Subway sandwich from Publix, huh. how can I give somebody else another half of this? Because I don't need the whole thing, right? right? So I try to give more of myself, of course, after I put myself back together uh, with everything that I have. I try to give myself to other people, right? A little bit. How can I make someone else's day? And that's why I like to teach. I love to teach because teaching, you're actually helping other people, uh -huh. right? You can't always be the teacher. Sometimes you have to be the student, right? But teaching helps you because you now are the master at what you teach. So uh, you've mastered something. Now you have to go teach it. That's right. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> the best way to learn something is to go teach it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're doing, you know, something that's super important uh, nowadays. I think like, you know, if, if people are paying attention to like, say the media and the popular press and all those other kind of things, right. we see people that are very self-centered, looking out for themselves. And if uh, it's not themselves, it's the tribe that they associate with. And it's a time of division. And what I hear from you is it's not about myself. I do got to take care of myself and do some of the healing yes. that needs to be done, but it's for the purpose of unity and bringing other people together and, and those kind of things. And Brianna, I, that's very important for me to hear. And I hope other people hear this as well, because if we're only paying attention to those that are out there that seem to be in it for themselves, takers, haters, dividers, um, we, we are not looking, yeah. and I think we're ignorant of people like yourself that are out there and we're not giving you the due diligence and attention that is much deserved and can be lifting us up because if we're only looking at the negative and the divisive right. we're not looking at the people that are also uh, doing the kind of work that you're doing so I'm, i just want to acknowledge you for that and i hope others do too because i think we're so distracted nowadays with what's wrong uh, we need to be paying more attention to what's right and you are certainly fitting the bill in that area and i just want to acknowledge you for that Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And you seem to have a wonderful team. You know, I was I was checking them out you know, on the website and, uh, you know, their credentials and their background and their experiences and what they do. It seems like you've surrounded yourself with an, an incredible amount of diverse people that are there and doing the good work that you're yeah. doing. So I, I want to acknowledge that, you know, you're also a great leader of an organization that seems to be well staffed up and have a lot of different uh, things yeah. to offer. And then, uh, of course, if you're not busy enough, I see that you're on a, a board of directors yeah. for the Southern. Tell us a little bit about that. So my, my love for homelessness has now developed for me to sit on a board. <laughs> so the Southern Legal Council um, has been around since 1980s. So I wanted to do more in the homelessness and the LGBTQ plus uh, dimensions of health, right? So I wanted to do a little bit more and learn about the homelessness culture in, in Gainesville. And Southern Legal Council is the perfect way to do that because they also serve people who are underserved mm -hmm. as homeless yeah. people in Gainesville. Sure. They are justice for people who are living without a home um, in Gainesville in legal rights. So I really wanted to understand the law because now, I mean, I've, I've gone through health, I've gone through business world. Now let's learn a little bit more about law. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I right. want to pick a organization that is dear to my heart with still keeping underserved minorities in view mm-hmm. um, and homelessness. I wanted to add that piece. So that's why I kind of submitted my application to become a board member of their board because they are doing magnificent work when it, when it comes to homelessness and justice for the underserved homeless minorities in Gainesville and homeless in general. Um, another thing is that I wanted to know a little bit more about homelessness rights because at one point of time, um, I am going to be facilitating another like phase. I think it's phase two we're on. Phase two of homelessness in the heat center where we're going to actually provide resources for homeless um, individuals. However, I need to know a little bit more about the law. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> I went to go sit on the law forum to do that, yeah. <laughs> to help with their initiatives with homelessness. So I love it there. I've been there since this year, I believe January uh, 2021. So um, I'm looking for more opportunities where I can get more involved with St. Francis House. Um, I was a volunteer during my master's degree uh, for St. Francis. So um, I'm trying to actually bridge the two, my center and actually St. Francis and see kind of where we can mediate some and provide some resources for people that are homeless. You know, the St. Francis House being a homeless shelter for families that mm-hmm. you know or don't have a home and can, for temporary times, being able to stay there. We need to team up. We uh, Center for Independent Living. We work a lot with people with disabilities who are either homeless or, or precariously housed or facing homelessness. And uh, part of living in the community is having shelter. And coming from the health education and behavior field myself, I did not have the, the appreciation for the impact of housing, the housing issues, the affordable housing, the accessible housing issues that are one of the, I consider to be the biggest factors that are related to health outcomes that I had really not on my radar. And I've learned so much about like just the sheltering, having adequate shelter for people is so important in terms of health outcomes and what that really means. And if we don't have that, it's almost like not having food or water. You know, it's just one exactly. of those foundational pieces that we need. And so I, I feel like a lot of people that with, you know, with our background don't get, um, we, we might understand the social determinants of health and we might understand housing's a part of that mm-hmm. and it's the biggest factor, but I don't remember being formally trained on how to prevent homelessness and or to get people who are homeless into sheltering and, and right. that kind of thing. So I'm really glad that you're getting that real world experience. And also the other piece of health education and behavior that we often get knocked on. So we're focused focused on individual level lifestyle related behaviors, very important, but also we got people in public health that are more policy oriented or they're kind of the mindset look, you know, we can tell people what to eat and how to eat and physical activity and alcohol and tobacco and other drugs are bad, but we really need laws to be able to enforce it. You know, we can't leave it up to right. the people's volitional control to be able to do it. And they're mostly like policy, policy, policy. And, and they have good points. And I feel like where we come from and health education behavior, we lack a little bit of that that um, impact of policies on health outcomes. So when I hear you say this, I'm thinking like, wow, you are getting such well-rounded experience in public health and how that must integrate into everything that you're doing is just phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I, I think you probably have to get going. I think there's a class that you have to teach if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Seventh and eighth grade science. Awesome. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it should be. Do I have time for one last question to, to ask yeah, you? What? Okay. So this is something we ask most people on our long form interviews, since we are like a center for independent living. And, you know, that's really one of the things that we really promote, especially in people with disabilities. You know, I want to get your take on what does the independent life or living independently mean 
to you? Um, independent life really means providing an outlet for everyone to use something that is universal, right? A skill inclusive, yeah, inclusive skill set that everyone could pick up and do. Whether it be cooking individually, whether it be you know dancing, writing, meditating, learning a skill set and actually applying it to your everyday life. Independent living is something that we all need help on. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I've been living on my own since I was 17, yeah. but I still need help, yeah. right? Yeah. So we all need that assistance, that extra special care when we are living with, with loved ones, but also when we're living with ourselves. Some days I don't want to cook. Sure. I wish I could hire somebody that cooks. Because <laughs> where do I got the time to cook? Yeah. We all need that inclusivity when we're living independent, but we also need to make sure that we all have appropriate people that care for us, right? So um, I know one of the things that we just talked about, me and my mom, were, was like my Nana. My Nana, she's 71 years old, but my Nana does not want to go to an independent living facility. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> He's the one that you're not going to get to go to the independent living facility just because of her fear of losing all of her rights, right? Sure. So sometimes you have rules at independent living that you have to follow. And my my Nana, she doesn't like those rules that much. Well, she doesn't like rules at all. Who does? <laughs> um, she's a little yeah. feisty, 71-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we probably will take my Nana in and help her with her independent living situation when she can't do things for herself um, if there ever becomes a time like that where she needs a little bit more help and guidance, right? But making sure that everyone has what they need yeah. and making sure they're feel inclusive in everything that they do, right? That's my take on dependent life. Well, yeah, and I, and I think you're hitting on something there. Most people wanna keep living in the community independently. And yes. if it's possible to avoid any you know, institutionalized care, whether it's assisted living facilities, nursing homes, uh, or any other kind of form of, you know, that's right. I think pretty natural. And, and like you're saying, like, Perhaps it's just some family support, you know, to be able to go and help people out with their activities of daily living. And it's wonderful to, to have a family or come from a family that can help to provide that. Yeah. So I, I want to thank you so much for your time, Brianna. You're doing a million different things and juggling it all at the same time. So I'm really, I'm really uh, thankful and grateful that you took the time to connect and, and to, to get your message into this format. And we're going to be putting it out there and uh, sharing it with as many people as that we can so that they can learn more about your organization, the wonderful people that work there. And I think most importantly, just, you know, kind of uh, getting a taste of what you know, makes you up and who you are. I love that you're approaching health from a community-based perspective, that it's multidimensional, it's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, um, that's holistic. Yeah. I, I just really admire the work that you're doing, the integrity that you have, that you're putting your heart on your sleeve and, and you're doing it to unify people. In a time where we see division everywhere, I think it's very important to look uh, around and make sure that we're not ignorant of the, the, the fact that there's, there's many people out there like yourself, not that you're not special, but that are out there working and doing good work and there's a lot of positivity out there that we're not taking into account if we're only looking at the naysayers the dividers and the haters so brianna thank you for being a beacon of hope and light in a, in a time that we're sorely needing it so i want to acknowledge you for the wonderful things that you're doing look forward to continuing our conversation and figuring out ways how we can also partner with you more on all the different wonderful things that we can do to make our community a, a better place Thank you so much for having me, Tony. <laughs> well, thank you. It's a pleasure to get to know you a little better, and I look forward to continuing our conversation. Until the next time, onward and upward.
Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.